You're only listening to the end of the last podcast, hosted by Joe Moore, presented by Belly of Sports. Join today's episode, Rhiannon Gelsomino. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from No Credentials Required to talk to you about one of our newest partners at Belly Up Sports, SeatGeek. Yeah, live sports is great on television, but the feeling of being at the arena is a priceless experience. That's why our friends at SeatGeek are there to help you find the best tickets at the best prices. Not only can you get tickets to sporting events, but you can also get tickets to concerts, comedy shows, musicals, and more. Search for your desired event now at SeatGeek.com, enter promo code BELLYUPSPORTS at checkout, and you save 20 bucks off your first purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. So how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. It's a beautiful, sunny, warm day here in Idaho, so no complaints from me. Nice. So so we're a week removed from you and Leah winning the open two-wheel drive class at Olympus. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was really exciting. I won the two-wheel drive championship in 2013 and 17, and to be moving back into the two-wheel drive role this year um, was always going to be another challenge for me. Um, So I was really excited about that. And Leah's obviously only 16, so there's been a lot of work in progress behind the scenes with doing some training and coaching and things like that. And to already get our first win in the second round that she's competed in was pretty amazing. And I was super proud of her in uh, tricky, wet conditions at Olympus. I, I, I've definitely been surprised with Leah's pace so far this season because that car isn't by any means slow nor probably easy to drive. And especially going from a front-wheel drive car like she drove last year to a rear-wheel drive bigger car I've been surprised with how actually good she's been yeah and like one thing um, before her dad passed away Ken and I had made this deal to sit with Leah and one of the biggest things he wanted her to do was be driving front wheel drive and then moving to rear wheel drive before she ever stepped in a four wheel drive car so it was really important for her to learn these skills this year and and to see how quickly she's picked it up has been pretty amazing to be honest like it's a very different car to the r2 as you're well aware so you know to get to olympus and to be so slippery and muddy and wet and all the conditions we're dealing with in most cases a little front wheel drive car would have been the choice that you would pick in those conditions so to think that she was able to you know drive as well as she did we didn't have one single moment we didn't have any times where I was like oh I think that we're going too hard here and we might crash and she just drove a very level-headed race and brought home which was yeah really amazing and it's also worth knowing she did beat out some more experienced drivers uh in guys like Dave Clark and Nick Allen and Tim O'Neill which is Michael Hooper as well yeah which is great always and it's always great to see a block on the top of the podium and I'm happy to see where she is so far and I'm hoping she can actually win the uh open two-wheel drive championship this year I know that's uh a bit away but you know there's always hope yeah I mean to win the two-wheel drive championship is definitely our goal um even though Leah is only 16 and she's only in her second year of rallying um, I stepped into that car, obviously, to bring my experience to the table. And it was something that we talked at, at length, Ken and I, before he passed away and, and what our goals were and what we were wanting to achieve this year. So 
you know, unfortunately missed Snowdrift. Um, we had to skip that. And then we went to 100 Acre Wood and, and we got second, which was her best overall result she'd had in two-wheel drive. Um, previously, it was third. And then to move to Olympus and, and win that rally, it's put us in a really good position. We're now currently second in the two-wheel drive championship. And the person who, who is leading us is is into the Oregon. So if we can have another good, clean race at Oregon, um, it'd be great to leave that event leading the championship when we move to Ohio, which is definitely a lot more technical and, and tricky roads, which I think like a front-wheel drive car should be more suited in, in those sort of conditions. So you talk about you and Ken talking about uh, co-driving for Leah before the season. How did, how did that, how did your partnership with Leah come to light? So uh, Travis told me in about September that he wanted to take 2023 off uh, to have more family time, see his wife and daughters more. And so um, at that point in time, it was just more of a private conversation. And he had let Subaru know as well that he was going to be taking the year off. And then I think it must have been October around LSPR time. Travis uh, mentioned again that he wasn't going to be racing next year. Um, they were sort of discussing their ideas and plans for what 2023 would look like. And so at that point, Ken realized that, oh, well, does that mean Rhiannon's available for the season? Um, and so, you know, um, Leah had Matt James, who was one of our students that Alex and I have trained, and, and we put him in that role when Ken was looking for someone um, to um, sit in with Leah for her first year. And then when Ken had the opportunity to... Um, have someone like me with my experience in the car he he took it up and and thought that this would be the good the good next step for Leah so it was just you know a good coincidence that Travis and Ken were talking about it and discussing it um before I went and found another ride with someone else and and we were able to make that work so you mentioned you guys skipped snowdrift was there the plan to go to snowdrift or was that always the plan to kind of skip snowdrift uh, unfortunately, the plan was that all three of us, Ken, Lucy and Leah, would be doing snowdrift. Um, it's really important now the way the championship works with power stage points and and maximising the points. As we know, in 2022, unfortunately, Alex and Ken lost the championship in the last round uh, when they had a crash at that that rally. Um, and they had a really good battle all year, but they'd had to miss snowdrift because they had the safari rally in Africa. So the team decision was made that we would all definitely be doing snowdrift, um, everything ready to go. The cars were all ready. Um, the Hyundai that was coming over was nearly that Ken would be driving. Unfortunately, you know, the unthinkable one January 2nd happened and we lost Ken. And so at that point in time, everything changed because Alex was obviously uh, in the ride with Ken. My job with Leah was un certain because obviously at that point we didn't want to be asking Lucy and Leah anything about rally the main you know um, thing was for us to be there supporting them so at that point we weren't really sure what was going to be happening we were more concerned about um, the Block family um, and then we were with Lucy and Leah and the kids and and they all decided that rally had to continue and it was something they all loved so at that point it was where Lucy um, and Alex decided that it would be a lovely tribute to Ken if they did the year together and at each rally Alex would wear one of the suits that he wore with Ken and, and 
we do like a tribute year um, with Lucy and Alex and Leah and I racing. So you talk about Matt James and you and Alex Stringham. What is your you and Alex's uh, co-driving school? So we have a um, training school called Australia Pro, uh, which we started in December 2013. Before being a full-time professional co-driver, I was a PE teacher in Australia, and I, I really love teaching. It's a passion for me. And when I moved over to America at the end of 2012 and, and I started going to rallies and, and watching rallies here, I started to realize there was a big hole in the knowledge that people had here. Most people were using um, organizer provided notes. They weren't writing their own pace notes. Uh, many co-drivers didn't understand the work that was involved. We didn't see teams using video analysis. There was so many holes in the championship over here just because people didn't have the knowledge or the skills to know what they should be doing. Um, I I was lucky. I'd just come straight out of the junior world championship for the last two years with my brother and and we'd been competing against, you know, the likes of uh, Elfin Evans, um, Craig Breen, unfortunately, who we've lost to. Um, and, and we were all, you know, competing at the highest level in the junior championship. So I'd learned all these new skills, which I knew were valuable to be able to perform at the highest level. So we decided, Alex and I, to start our training company where we would teach drivers how to write pace notes in recce training. We would teach co-drivers all the skills that they needed to be, you know, a top-level co-driver. And then we would also teach teams. They would come together and we would teach them about how they should be working as a team and developing and, and things like that. So we're now nearly 10 years down the road and we've trained over 500 people in America, Australia, New Zealand. We have done some online in Spain and, and UK and places like that. So it's been pretty phenomenal um, what we've been able to achieve and and how many people when we go to rallies we've trained these days that now have those skills and knowledge that we've handed on from our years of experience in racing all over the world. So Oz Rally Pro has been something really important to American Rally, I believe, um, and it's something that's really developed our sport over here. So you mentioned the junior WRC. What was What was racing in the junior WRC with your brother like yeah so it was incredible in 2010 um, my brother and I competed in um, the Asia Pacific Rally Championship and we won the opportunity to go to Spain with 16 other um, kids I'd say from around the world to do a shootout to become a Pirelli star driver and that Pirelli star driver there was six of them that would be selected and they would get a fully funded ride in the junior world championship the following year which was six rounds of the junior world championship so my brother and I head over to Spain um, we haven't driven a uh, R2 car before um, we'd been just we'd been in Subarus most recently and we'd done a bit of stuff in real drives as well so we went over and we did a two-day test um, in a R2 Twingo which wasn't even what we we're going to be driving we we're going to be driving a Ford Fiesta R2 and we shared the test road. It was at the WRC in Spain with Petter Solberg. So um, we had one day of gravel testing, one day of tarmac testing. And I, I luckily got to sit in with Petter on testing as well. So that was pretty cool. And then we went to the Pirelli Star Driver shootout, which my brother and I won. So that was a huge opportunity. Craig Breen also won a spot. Um, so that was awesome. 
And then that meant the following year we got to compete in the World Junior World Championship in a fully funded Prally Star driver ride. So for two country kids from Australia, a brother and sister, which is unheard of, this was a pretty amazing opportunity. Um, and it was something that really got our career moving because then the following year we competed in the Junior World Championship again. Um, and we were coming second until the final round when we had a problem with our engine and we finished fourth that year. So definitely um, incredible experience getting to race in so many of the WRC rounds all over the place, you know, whether it be Portugal or Italy or the UK or Spain or Greece or uh, countless places. Um, it was it was absolutely amazing and and it taught both of us so many things. And we were very, very close um, to that top position, but we obviously missed out on it, but it definitely gave me a lot of experiences, which I still use today. So you mentioned Craig Breen. Did you ever get a chance to talk with him? Yeah, we were good friends with Craig. Unfortunately, we've lost another good friend this year. So um, in the Junior World Championship, you'll become very close. How it works is they run it a little bit like they called it the Academy, actually, the WRC Academy when we did it. And we would all be in classroom settings and they would have guest speakers like Sebastian Loeb, Sebastian Ogier, Yari Maddy Latvala, Hervenen, all these amazing people uh, would come and, and do a talk to us before we would start the rally about, um, you know, advice that they had for us and everything. And we did a lot of all the catering, everything was run together. So everyone's in exactly the same cars, everyone's got exactly the same team. They swap the team around all the time. So there's no bias. We're all eating together. We're all gathered, gathered together. So uh, Craig was definitely in our first year. He won the championship that year. And he was definitely someone that we all looked up to and admired for his speed and passion. And, and you know, he taught us things that many of us were, you know, watching over his shoulder, like, ah, oh, that's what he's doing. So um yeah it was it's very sad to lose Craig as well this year because he was definitely someone very close to our heart so how are you like what got you into rally so I was actually born into a motorsport family my dad was a speedway driver first and then he took up rally um driving when he was about 25 so I was probably four or five years old or something like that um, and as I grew up, um, I did some go-karting. Um, I'm the oldest of four kids. So, you know, dad was definitely passionate about motorsport and encouraging us to all get involved. So um, karting was where I started. And then after I had a little go at that, I did something we call in Australia, it's called autocross. Um, and what it is, it would be like a 1.5 mile gravel stage, um, like a rally sprint. And I had a little Datsun 1600 and I would race in that. And that was all over the state I lived in. And then I progressed to a Subaru RS, which is a non-turbo Subaru. And after that, I got a Subaru GC8. So I was actually a driver in my early days until I was about 24 years old. And my baby brother, Brendan, who's eight years younger than me, he was coming up through the ranks and a very good driver. And my dad told me that I should learn to be a co-driver because he's like, if you learn to be a co-driver, I think you'll go places with your brother. So I was pretty happy that dad told me that because at the time I was PE teaching and I loved my life and I was like doing little bits of racing here and there, but never had I thought of actually co-driving. So that advice dad gave me definitely paid off because 
this has been my job since 2010. So I definitely are thankful for that. So you talked about like in the pre-show, we talked about kind of how you met Alex. So how did you meet Alex? So Alex and Ken, um, as you're probably aware, were doing the world championship for a, a few years um, when they first moved to Ford. And so we we obviously saw each other a bit when we were both, you know, just crossing paths, doing the events and things like that. Um, but then in 2012, um, Alex actually um, asked my brother if he could ask me out on a date. So Alex and I um, were both competing in the world championship. I think our first date was, I don't know, somewhere like Finland or Spain or so, somewhere on the world scene. Um, and yeah, so we, I lived in Australia and he lived in America and, and we hit it off. We both had the same love and passion for racing and we were both professional full-time co-drivers. So at that point in time, it was like, okay, well, we've fallen in love now. What do we do? And, and so I made the decision to, to leave Australia and, and move, move over to America and leave my family. So it's, it's been a huge sacrifice. I, I don't have any family here in America. It's just me. Um, I've got lots of nieces and nephews in Australia, which I miss dearly. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, for us, it was a decision where if we lived in America, we could still be racing in Europe and have those options, which it was closer for us to be over here than, than living in Australia and doing that type of travel. So, because in 2016, for example, I competed in the Scottish uh, Scottish Rally Championship, the British Rally Championship, rounds of the Australian Rally Championship, rounds of the New Zealand Rally Championship, and rounds of the American Rally Championship, maybe Canadian also. I don't know. It was something like five or six different champions over the world that I did rounds in. So, you know, living ideally living in Europe is is the best option to be honest but living in America was definitely an easier option than than traveling from Australia to do all of those races so you and Alex um have been rivals kind of throughout your careers with Alex co-driving for Ken Block and you co-driving for Travis Pastrana was there ever kind of points where you guys had to just leave something out on the stage and not bring it home or did some stuff come home or what was that kind of like for you guys? So Alex and I, from very early on in our career, we always, we go to rallies and people see us there together, but we also always have a separate hotel room. And a lot of people laugh about that, but when we're at rallies, we're there to work um, and this is our job. So that part of it always made it easy as far as when I would get back to my hotel room at night, I go to my room where I'm on my own and I don't have Alex there and I can be focused on my job and not ever worried about people thinking that we're sharing team ideas or anything like that. So that was definitely something that we always did from the start um, because we knew even if we weren't at the top rivals with Travis and Ken, we also sometimes were competing against each other directly in two-wheel drive class or something like that. So it was always one of those situations where, you know, we would be competing against each other and you always wanted to show how professional you were and, and how you handle things. So that's how we handled it at rallies. We always kept that all separate. Then when we're at home, um, you know, especially in 2021 and 2022, where we were with, you know, uh, Travis and Ken and we were co directly competing against each other for the championship, we were very careful about, 
you know, what knowledge we could talk about and what we couldn't talk about. Like I didn't even know um, Alex and Ken were bringing the world car in until Travis actually told me. So, and, and no one would believe me. They're like, no way she knew. And I'm like, I 100% did not know they were going to be in a world car. So, you know, it, we just didn't share those secrets because we never wanted to jeopardize our positions and our roles in, in the opportunity that we had working in Travis, which was, you know, the best opportunity that you could have in America and, and for the best rides in the world. So you're never going to jeopardize that. And, and we know, Alex and I both know that. So it's not like we ever got mad at each other or question like, why won't you tell me this? Or why won't you tell me that? Because there was no need to do that because it was very clear that we were both there to win. We both wanted to beat each other. And whoever at the end of the day won the rally was the person who deserved it because that person obviously, you know, set the faster time at times and, and achieved what they had achieved. So how did you start co-driving for Travis Pastrana? So I had a conversation with Travis probably in 2014 or 15, I think it was 14. And at that point, Ken was with Ford and Travis was with Subaru. And there were some concerns over the whole Alex and Rhiannon um being married and being in you know two competing manufacturers which was Subaru and Ford um so that that obviously got thrown out the door because there was too much question over whether that was a good idea to have a husband and wife directly competing against each other and then COVID hit in 2020 um and I got a phone call from Travis and he said uh Robbie can't get into America Rhiannon because of the COVID rules and I need a a co-driver for Southern Ohio Forest Rally. And I said to Travis, well, I definitely can't do it because I'm booked with Joseph Burke for that race already. So I'm not available. Um, and then I said to him, like, I, I don't know if I can race with you anyway. But then it was pretty obvious to us that Ken was no longer with Ford full time. He was doing his own thing. Um, and Travis was with Subaru still. So the whole manufacturer conflict was taken out at that point. So we didn't have to worry about those things anymore. But the next thing was what rallies did Travis want me to compete with him and what rallies were I already booked for? Because obviously this being my full-time job, I had already booked many races. So he went to Ohio with uh, Chris, Chrissy Beavis, who used to race with him previously, I think in 2014 maybe. Um, and then as soon as they, the car, they lost the car, it burnt to the ground at that race, which was devastating for the team. Um, and then as soon as the race was over on the Monday, I got a phone call from Travis and he said, Rhiannon, will you be available for Ojibwe Forest Rally? Um, so I didn't have any bookings for it and Show Me Rally and Olympus, which were the three rounds that they were going to run with a shorter schedule um, with all the COVID restrictions. So at that point in time, Travis and I made a deal for me to do a Jeepway and we would see how it went for both of us. Um, and then at the end of the race, we would decide if we continue. So we did a Jeepway and we won. <laughs> so obviously it went really well. Um, I pushed Travis harder than he's ever been pushed. I made him do lots of homework and work very hard. And he loved that. I mean, he's a competitive guy and he loves being pushed and he loves you know, any new knowledge that he can gain, he's really into that. So I taught him lots of things with his notes. And it was interesting because I could have easily jumped in with Travis and thought, oh, this is Travis Pastrana. He's a legend. I'm not going to tell him anything. 
Whereas he was like, hey, you you have a training school. You teach people, like teach me, like show me what you know. And I was like, okay, I think this should be better and that should be better. And and he loved that. And, and that was really exciting for me to see that someone like Travis was so adaptive and willing to to listen to feedback and and take on new ideas so after we won OG boy it was pretty obvious that we worked well together and and we continued on from there and we did the next two seasons 18 rallies together and we won many races and won the championship obviously in 2021 and then this year Trav took the year off but it was um, really cool to work with someone like him and and be able to push him and, and and see what he could achieve with different goals and ambitions after winning, you know, five championships already when I got in the car with him. So what was last season like for you and Travis with not winning a rally? I mean, people ask me that all the time, but to me, I don't really think about it too much because I'm, Travis is such a personal friend of mine now that I knew what he was going through after he had his base jumping accident um, while filming Jim Carner. So obviously that was before Snowdrift and and he was very badly injured. He he kept a lot of it to himself as far as media and stuff, but I was at his house and I was there doing work with him and I knew exactly what he was going through. So you know, realistically, we should never even have done 100 Acrewood. We finished fourth there and Travis still had tubes and, and all sorts of things going on from his accident. Um, he he had a lot of pain and, and that race was very, you know, difficult for him to do. So the rest of the season was pretty much trying to catch up and Travis also, you know, dealing with the mental aspect of in January, he nearly died um and overcoming that and people just think Travis is a crazy guy but he's not he always weighs up the risk and then he decides whether that the risk is worth it and in this case he was very mad at himself because he made a silly decision at the end of the base jump which nearly killed him and nearly took his life so when things like that happen and you've got two little girls at home and a wife and you start to think about and and question what you're doing and what silly things you shouldn't be doing anymore. And and I think that, you know, his injuries that he had last year and, and you know, the mental side of what had happened in January was all very difficult. And people laugh at me when I say that, but Travis is one of my best friends and I know him extremely well. And I know all the things we were going through last year. So I was still incredibly proud of him. And, and I think that it was just one of those years that he had to heal and, and then taking this year off has been good for him. And, and then hopefully we might see him back next year. So what's been, you've obviously co-driven a lot of rallies. What's been your favorite rally to co-drive at? Oh, and New Zealand are the best roads in the world. So like, I, I love WRC Finland. Don't get me wrong. I've done Finland twice, but I can't explain how amazing it is to race in New Zealand. The camber on the roads the scenery around you, like when you ask even the top WRC drivers, like what world rally they want to do, and it's always New Zealand. So when New Zealand was back on the calendar last year for the world rally, everyone was so pumped because it's just, it's hard to explain how incredible, when you're changing camber from one camber to another and you're jumping in between the camber and the corners, it's 
it's what what we live for you know what I mean it's what gives us the adrenaline and the buzz and and I've done a lot of racing in New Zealand having grown up in Australia we're so close to New Zealand obviously and I've won rounds of the New Zealand rally championship with my brother and anytime we got opportunities to go race over there and Hayden Patton is a good friend of ours and when we'd get to race Hayden and 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 be over there on those roads it was always a, a great thrill and I, I hope I get to do it many more times that's for sure. You've co-driven with a lot of different drivers. Could you pick one favorite out of the bunch? <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite. Um, I mean, I've driven with obviously Travis Pastrana, who's obviously won six national championships here in America and and he's an incredible driving guy. Um, my brother Brennan, we've won rallies in New Zealand, Australia, New Caledonia, like all over the world doing racing together so and my brother was ranked number one driver in Australia for many years uh John McCrone in the Scottish Rally Championship I've won rounds of the Scottish Rally Championship with John and and John's an incredible driver unfortunately he had a terrible incident in in 2015 and his co-driver in a race passed away and so John wasn't racing for a while and they contacted me to come over to Scotland and and try and get John into what he loved and when we started out we were I think 18th in the first race and then fourth and then second and the final race we did together we in that year we we won it so it was pretty amazing and then the following year I did the world rally in in Wales GB with him and and we had a great result there so I've driven with I've co-driven with some of the top drivers from different places around the world which is pretty lucky for me and, and it's exciting to think about that and to say who's been the best or my favorite is a really hard one. And I mean, definitely my love and passion is racing with my brother. Um, it's why I got into the sport and he's an incredible driver and we make an amazing team together. Um, but then Travis has obviously become one of my best friends and and we love racing together too. So I always laugh because I've done my most races with Brian and my brother and then my second most races with Travis. So I'm like, oh, my brother's still number one, Trav, until we've done over 80 races together. And he always thinks that's funny. Um, so what's been your or least favorite rally to co-drive at? Oh, least favorite? Um, some of the ones in America, to be honest, are, are way too fast for the cars that we're in. Um, so, you know, when you're averaging speeds that we shouldn't be averaging in rallies when especially when you see the rules and regulations of the world rally championships it's definitely not something i enjoy stpr rally is ridiculously fast and dangerous and brandon had quite a big crash there last year and it's one that travis doesn't like either and you know i think that sometimes there's not enough consideration um here for the fact that the roads in America are really fast. Um, and when you're in the open class cars, the roads are too fast for those cars. So sometimes that's something that makes it not as enjoyable because you want to be, you know, on roads that are technical and they're fun and and you're not sitting on, you know, over 120 miles per hour for however long in a stage. So definitely STPR is out of the national championship this year and it's, and it's not something that I'll complain about because it's not one that I've ever really enjoyed. And I think that it's just far too dangerous for the national rounds, that's for sure. So speaking of 
I guess, dangerous. You start a bit of a buzz after Olympus with uh, a post on Facebook about rally safe usage. Would you mind explaining that a bit? Yeah, I think one of the issues we have here is that people don't understand how rally safe works and they don't know how to use it. Um, is that through any fault of their own? I, I don't want to say yes or no because. I grew up racing in Australia where Rally Safe has been implemented in all rallies since about 2010, I think it was. So I've been using it for many years. I'm well aware of all its, you know, um, different, um, you know, things that we're meant to be using on it, whether it be okay, hazard, SOS, push to pass, all these different functions that they have. Unfortunately, in America, most people are too scared to even touch their rally safe. They just leave it, they don't touch it, they don't do anything with it, they don't know how to use it. Um, and it makes me mad that they haven't taken the time, like Preston is forever posting about read the manual and his links to videos, and for some reason, people still never do it. Um, so what that meant at Olympus Rally, there was quite a few episodes where you know, yes, we have to use our eyes and we have to like be looking for things around us. Rally safe shouldn't be just our number one um, priority in the car because, you know, um, if someone has an accident or something, they're, they're going to have an okay board or they're going to have an SOS board or they're going to let you know if they need help apart from the rally safe. Um, but at Olympus, unfortunately, in my case, Leah and I were stuck behind a car for eight miles. And that's just unheard of. Like, I, I mean, I've rallied in the back of the field, the front of the field. If I push, push to pass, the car in front of me is always pulling over at least within a mile, you know, because maybe they're busy, they haven't noticed their screen's blue and they don't pull over. So when I walked down and opened the door of that car, I noticed how low their rally safe was. And I realized looking at where the co-driver was positioned, there was no way that they could see that rally safe unit. So um, I started to question where people have their units and can they see them. Um, the other reason I did that was I had heard clearly that there was an SOS where the Tabor's car burnt to the ground and three fellow competitors went past them, even though their rally safe was showing SOS and they were being slowed down. So then I wondered where is those people's units and why are people not seeing rally safe and why are they not responding to it? So. I, I know the Rally Safe guys really well in Australia um, and they're starting to question, well, where do people have their units set up in the Australian Rally Championship? They need to be set up in a location where driver and co-driver can reach them and see them clearly. And the World Championship is the same from memory. Um, I'm pretty sure their rules say that too. So I started to ask the question of, you know, where is your Rally Safe? Can you see it? Like from a co-driver's perspective, is there pace note book covering that device and they can't see it so it's flashing blue for eight miles they don't even notice it um the other thing that makes me a little bit upset is you know people just need to be more aware like how can you not notice someone for eight miles that's like on your tail flashing lights um you know right on your tail and and how can you not notice a car on fire that people are trying to help the people and, and you just blow by you know three cars so it's a little bit concerning considering that we rely on each other for safety and rally. We're not on a track. We don't have an ambulance ready to save us. Um, we rely on each other. So I, I really just hope that maybe my post makes people start to think about how are they handling safety situations? Where is the rally safe? 
do they know how to use it if they don't know they need to do some lessons and 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 I got a lot of good feedback from it and a lot of people have reached out to me and they said they're moving their unit and they realized that the the questions I asked were things that they'd never even thought of before and I, and I have spoke to Preston before about why that was brought on and it was primarily for a safety reason and for safety and data obviously but in, the, in terms of safety, if drivers and co-drivers can't see that, they can't provide safety for other drivers. If there's a driver crashed down the middle of the road on a corner that on a blind crest or whatever, and you're going at that at them at, say, 80 or whatever, and you hit their car, that's not a good idea at all. And that's not safe. Um, luckily, it hasn't happened. And good thing it hasn't happened because that's not something I think Preston wants to deal with nor any competitor wants to deal with. No, and that's the thing. Like if someone is upside down in the road, which Tom um, Williams was in the power stage at the last Olympus, you know, straight away the co-driver, because the unit is usually somewhere towards them in America especially, needs to activate what needs to be done. Now in their case, you know, are they both okay? If they're both okay, push the okay and you'll get an option, you know, hazard blocking the road or are you like off the road clearly? So the, the system gives you these options. So then what that means is the next car, when they're approaching you, it's going to come up on their screen, whether it be green to say they're okay, uh, orange, yellow color to say hazard. So you know that they're partially blocking the stage or maybe fully blocking the stage or SOS, which means they're going to need medical support. Um, so it's definitely, I mean, especially at Snowdrift where it's icy and slippery, it's definitely been something that has been helping. And and I, I truly believe that Rally Safe saves lives because if you've crashed off the road and you can't be seen and you're both unconscious, Rally Safe will straight away register the G's and it will start knowing that if these people haven't re responded to them, they're going to send me the car a red screen to tell me these people need assistance. So I love Rally Safe. I'm a huge advocate of it. Um, I just want people to understand how to use it and, and have it in the right place in their cars so that then it can do its job along with also people with triangles out, okay board, SOS board, whatever it needs to be. So we have, you know, more than one way of helping, you know, keep people safe in rallies. And, and safety is a huge part of what makes rally work and what makes people actually want to do the sport. And we talked about Craig before, and that that's an example of it. I don't actually know exactly what happened with Craig because I don't think it's actually been fully released. But safety is a huge, huge thing in rally. And even to go back to some of the crashes Travis has had and even Semnac last year at STPR, if there wasn't good safety features, especially in the car, we might not be seeing Brandon Semnac at the top of the championship this year. Yeah, and I mean, for me, like back in 2009, I broke my legs in nine places. So I've definitely been through the hell of how dangerous rally is. Um, I had to learn to walk again. You know, I was out of the car for six months, had to decide whether I'd continue to race. And then in 2014, doing Oregon, I was burnt on my hands and face um, during a fire uh, in, a, in a racing incident with Nick Roberts. So I've had two very serious incidences where I, I definitely could have died. Um, and in my opinion, safety is the number one thing of 
what makes it okay for me to race. So I don't get in a car that doesn't have, you know, the halo, I call them wing seats, but the halo seats, you know, it doesn't matter how good a driver someone is, if they want me to co-drive for them and they don't have those seats that protect my neck in a side impact, I'm not getting in that car. So, you know, for someone like me who has been through hell of breaking my legs in nine places and having to recover from that, I definitely know that I survived that for a reason. And the reason was because I had every safety method in that car to protect my life. Now, yeah, you can still have a situation like Craig Breen, which was horrific, but, you know, we can't, we can't stop things like coming into the car, unfortunately, like a fence post in, in his case. So, you know, unfortunately, anyone who has passed away in recent years, you know, it's usually been something coming into the car, whether it's a fence post or a tree or something like that. And and those things we can't think about, they're part of the risk and, and there's something you hope never happens to you. Um, but you can do all the other things to make sure that your seat fits you correctly, the, the halo seats are at the right level, your belts are done up correctly and all those sort of things. When then Alex had that huge crash at Olympus last year, like Alex heard his tailbone for very for many, many months. If Alex didn't have his seat um, in the right position, his belt's done correctly, he would have for sure broken his pelvis. Um, so it's it's just one of those things I always tell my students. I'm like, safety always has to be number one. And when I start seeing and hearing things where people aren't using their rally safe correctly, they're not following the processes of using the, the triangles and the OK boards and the SOS boards and all those sort of things, that really makes me concerned because I may need them one day. I may be in a situation where I'm fighting for my life. And if I if I don't trust that everyone is on the same you know, idea of what we have to do for each other, that actually makes me a little bit nervous. So 2021 or 2020? No, it would have been 2021. Um, David Higgins returned to American Rally for the first time in a year um at new england what was that like for you and travis to face off against a guy who i guess somewhat replaced travis years before and one of travis's former teammates and a 10-time champion yeah i mean for us travis my competitors and we want to beat the best so you know we didn't really think about it we already had I think it was three wins and a second by that stage in the championship. So we had a really good lead in the championship and everything had been going really well and, and everything was going well at that rally too. We had a, a, a lead, I think it was like nine or 10 seconds. Um, and we were right near to the end of the rally. We didn't have any reason to crash. Um, unfortunately, the corner, we downgraded the note, the first pass, because we went wide on it. Um, and then on the second pass, Trav, you know, even though he downgraded, he pushed hard again and, and we went off and we crashed and we handed David the win. And I mean, it was disappointing for us because we're in a position to win. We should not we like he had to beat us by over a second a mile to take the win from us. I think with the amount, I think there was where we crashed, we only had five miles left in the rally or something like that. So, you know, it was a silly mistake by us. Um, but when you work with someone like Travis or I, we want to win and we want to beat the best. So whether that's, you know, Higgins or Brandon Semenek or, you know, someone coming over from Europe, it's great because we want competition. I mean, poor Brandon at the moment, he doesn't have any competition. He went to Olympus and he's racing no one. 
and and no one wants that i don't want to win a championship racing no one um so so having david come over was always a good challenge but it wasn't something that really worried travis or i it was more that we were like oh perfect this is great we've got more competitive here more people to race and and that's what rally is all about so we're talking about competition what was last season like having three top level cars in the championship or even 2021 having three car three top cars in the championship fighting for the championship yeah, I mean, it's been really excited for American rallying, to be honest. Um, you know, there was many years where David was racing himself, like Brandon was at Olympus, um, and winning rallies by six, seven, eight minutes. Um, and I'm sure David wanted competition. You know, he wanted people to race. So when all of a sudden um, you've got Ken come back to the championship and and he brings, you know, uh, goes back to Subaru for 2021. You've got Brandon Semenek, who's now part of the Subaru team, and and Travis. It, it's pretty cool to think that, you know, you've got three drivers in identical cars all racing each other and, and this top competition to America. So then to think last year Ken decided to bring a world car over and and create even more of a challenge, it, it, was, it was really cool to see our engineers, like, as you would have seen in photos, adding all this extra aero and 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 trying to work out how they were going to find more speed in our Subarus, which had been, you know, not changed a huge amount in the last few years. So, I mean, I think I personally think that the last couple of years of the American Championship, because we had three cars competing at the high level we did, it meant that, you know, all over the world, people were starting to look at, hey, this American championship looks like it's a lot of fun and it's really cool. Um, the only thing that I I wish um, of the American championship is that we could have more competitive cars. So like the, the R, they were more competitive with the Subarus and the open class cars. So obviously ARA brought in new rules this year to try and, you know, bring it back and R5 being more the top level. But so far, there's still quite a big gap. And whether that's because we need to have someone that is, you know, a top level driver, which Tom is as well, but I think, you know, someone come over and, and drive an R5 that's at the, at the top in the WRC or something and compete against Brandon and see where that's at. Because otherwise, I think Subaru is just going to run away with it and we won't have the competition that we had. Whereas if we could have the R5s and the Subarus on a similar level, we could get back to having you know something like five teams all competing for the win which would be pretty awesome and in a lot of like american rally is definitely taking a hit this year with the loss of kim block and travis strong taking a year off it, it's definitely lost a lot of attention because those both of them brought a lot of attention to the sport and even like for me doing media myself it it kind of does get boring writing over and over again, Brandon Semnuck, Brandon Semnuck, Brandon Semnuck. I'm like, can somebody else win, please? 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously Ken was going to be here this year competing, which I think him and Brandon would have had a, a good year. Ken was bringing over an R5, though, so my question is, is that car going to be, you know, um, able to compete outright, which... It's hard to know um, because obviously we're not seeing that at the moment. We're just seeing at 100, Barry McKenna turned up and 
Brandon and Barry had an awesome race there, obviously, but Brett Barry was in his world car, obviously, that had been converted to whatever rules he had converted it to with open class. I think it maybe has a two-liter engine and and those sort of things. So I think there's still, you know, a big gap. And I agree with you. Unfortunately, this year things have gone back to the way they were for many, many years, where we just had, you know, mainly David Higgins competing. Um, and then there was a big hole back to whoever was next. So I, I hope that we can find a way to get it back to where it was. Um, obviously, losing Ken, who's one of the most well-known motoring people in the world, is is a big hit to a championship and to the rally community as a whole. So, you know, let's hope that maybe Barry comes out and does a few more races and we might get some top-level R5 drivers over or something and, give Brandon some competition so that then he, you know, has to fight for his second championship in a row rather than it, it feeling like he just was handed it. And and I've talked with some people before, like I've talked with Preston, obviously, and Preston doesn't know if McKenna is going to do any more rounds or what he's doing, what his plan is. Um, I've also talked with Oliver Solberg and Oliver has interest in coming over, but he just doesn't really have the budgeting to do that so it's unfortunate but if, if Oliver could come over because he's a guy who doesn't know the roads and that's half of the issue is yes you can bring over a top level RC2 or an R5 driver or even a WRC driver but they don't necessarily know the roads right so it there's always that bit of yeah he they can drive fast in the car but they don't know the roads as well as some other people do Solberg knows the roads a bit better than others and so he's somebody you could actually probably compete at that level but we might never know no exactly and it, like oliver would be a perfect case to come over and do a rally that he's previously done the one year he was competing here because hopefully he would have some of those notes and video on boards and things that he could look back through and and um you know get a result that we're, we're trying to see right now, which is where, where is the Subaru compared to R5s and what other rule changes do ARA need to make to make our national championship more of a R5 is the elite rather than open class Subaru because, you know, we're talking about Ken Block had to get an, a, a world rally car to compete against the Subarus. It's a million dollars. Now, who has a million dollars to do that? People don't have that. So we want to make it more affordable and we want more people competing. But if we still have the top open class where it's at, we don't have privateers that can afford that. So, you know, unfortunately in America, we don't have many manufacturers involved. So it's not like we've got, you know, Toyota and Hyundai and all those guys all there. We don't have that. So we've got Subaru as the manufacturer that's involved right now. And, and you know, how do we get more manufacturers interested? Well, to gain that interest, it's really hard when when they look at results and they're like, okay, Tom Williams was in a Ford Fiesta and he was how many minutes off the lead before he crashed? I mean, it, it's very hard sell to manufacturers when that's happening. So I'm not really sure what Preston's going to do. I know they've had a lot of meetings this week trying to work out where they're at with the rules and, and how it's looking and what they should be doing. Um, but unless Barry can turn up to some rallies and give Brandon a challenge, which I don't... Barry has five kids. He has a really busy business with a lot of employees. Whether he can take off extra time, I really don't know. So hopefully um, we'll find a new um, 
good spot with Preston and ARE where we can have a little bit more competition. And that's obviously the hope. And hopefully some competition shows up. But as 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 of now, it's looking like um, Seminux probably going to have the championship locked up by like New England, which is insane. Yeah, I mean he's three rallies in and he's three firsts, isn't he? So um, it doesn't take much more. And if Barry's not there, it, it should, unless he, Brandon has a problem, that shouldn't be an issue, and it'll all be tied up. So then. Even if Barry did turn up, they're not racing for a champion anymore. They're just racing for race wins. So that changes everything as well. So, I mean, Brandon's a phenomenal driver um, and he would love competition just as much as all of us want to see. And and this year, like, for me, there's almost more, I guess, kind of interest in watching the other championships such as the open two-wheel drive championship and the uh ellen four championship and such because there's actual competition there there's actual you know people moving throughout the ranks and such and it's it, it's been kind of uninteresting this year to watch the actual full national championship yeah, and I think that that's helpful to people like Leah because obviously then there's a lot of media and talk. Of, I mean, she's a 16 year old girl, which also um, attracts a lot of media attention, and she's Ken Block's daughter. But I mean, for her to win the two wheel drive championship, it's a really good talking point for many a media outlets or people's, you know, social media or whatever they're using because, you know, Brandon obviously got the win easy. So then they look at, okay, well, what's what's the next interesting story? Um, and the next interesting story is 16-year-old Leah Block wins a two-wheel drive, you know, round. So I think that I agree with you that, that people will start looking at other areas in the championship where they find an interesting story and focus on that versus, you know, the situation we're in where, unfortunately, Brandon doesn't have much and in the top of the run definitely doesn't have the media and PR like it did the last few years with Ken Travis and Brandon all there. Um, so speaking of Leah, uh, this week uh, it was announced that Leah would compete, be competing in Pikes Peak. What, what are your thoughts on that? So she's made it very clear to me, Re, I am not competing. I am only doing the demo. So she's driving, obviously, the um, the pink Porsche that her dad was scheduled to drive and then it wasn't ready for Pikes Peak last year so she's definitely not racing it up Pikes Peak um, and it's not something she wants to do she she's not ready for racing it up there she's clearly told me uh, but she will be doing some demos and some fun things with those guys uh, but not competing and and that's kind of a, a good thing to for her to even just go there and be with the car and all that for for the ARA because that's a lot of media attention. Pikes Peak gains a lot of media attention, and to have somebody to have a sixteen-year-old uh, there even is is something that's pretty much unheard of. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, Leah's going to bring attention just because of you know who her father was, um, but then the fact that she's very talented, like she is, is really cool. She's not just. Ken Block's daughter, she's Leah Block, who has, you know, skills and talent. And I think if she wants to, she can go a long way. We've got to remember she's still young. She's still doing school. Um, her parents both wanted her to go to college. So I'm sure Lucy will still be wanting that to happen. And 
it's going to be interesting because she loves circuit racing as well. So whether we can keep her in rally, I don't know. She might she might uh, enjoy watching the Formula One Netflix show too much and and decide to head that way. I, I keep, keep telling her rally is the best sport in the world. So let's hope I can keep convincing her to stay on the dirt gravel rally stages versus the tarmac uh, circuit tracks. But I, I don't know what hope I've got. We'll, we'll wait and see. I mean, like there there's a lot of people like i'm sure in the community who would who would have interest in trying to convince her to stay because the the american rally community is so is such a tight-knit community and, and so welcoming to so many different people like this off season i like i wrote for the area last season uh with belly up and then this season i looked more with dirtfish being pretty much out of the sport ish um i looked at more getting more getting involved with drivers and such and that's how this started and a lot more uh coverage for me um so we you've talked about leah's dad is there ever a point where leah finds it i guess frustrating or like she has to try to get out of the shadow of her father it's been interesting we've talked about many things her and I um I've known her since she was like five years old and she thinks of me like an auntie I guess you'd say so uh she definitely wants to build her own brand and and be Leah Block not not Ken Block's daughter so that's always going to be something different because you know we're we're only talking about you know tomorrow will be four months I think since Ken passed away so we're still very fresh in this you know craziness which has happened and, and been thrown upon us all so right now Leah is just focusing on learning and progressing and putting the right people around her and and she really wants a motorsport career and that's not because that's what her dad wanted for her she loved cars and racing just as much as Ken did so it's really cool that you know even though her dad has passed away she's you know for her to be back rallying at 100 acre wood and then olympus and be doing what she's doing i'm so proud of her and and it's tough you know that there's hard days there's hard days for all of us like ken was alex's best friend and ken was a very close friend to me like my brother and i did gravel crew for alex and ken at the world rally in spain so and my brother come over from australia last year and coached leah at new england forest rally so my brother and I were particularly close to the Block family as well. And then obviously Alex with Ken being his, his driver and boss and best friend and all those sort of things for 18 years. So, you know, Leah is definitely going to have that, that you know, Leah Block, um, your Ken Block's daughter going on for a, a long time, I'm sure. But at the same time, I think if she's good enough and she keeps pushing and she shows her skills, people will respect that and, and and she'll be known as Leah Block, um, and she'll be really respected. So we mentioned earlier the tragedy of January 2nd. When did you and Alex find out about Ken's passing, and how did you find out? Uh, we found out pretty much straight away because, obviously, we are very close with the family, and, and um, I sent Ken an email that morning and and we'd had some discussions about our goals with Leah and stuff and and then obviously he went out on the snowmobile and 
unfortunately got a phone call from Derek um, letting us know what had happened and luckily Alex and I live in Idaho uh, it's only a six hour drive to Park City to Lucy and the kids and we just grabbed our bags and took off straight away and got to be with them as quickly as we could because you know we were hurting as much as they were and we needed to be there to support them so pretty much the first two months we were either living there with them or you know coming home to feed our cats and and then going back and and starting to get plans and and helping organize what life would look like for them now we came gone so um yeah for us it definitely was a big shock and but we needed to be there to support them and and um that's what we did and we continue to do especially working with the girls and being there in not only the co-driver roles the supportive friends and and the people that they need there beside them so you you kind of know the answer to this I, I I mentioned previously the community and American rallying and even just rallying in general. What was it like for you guys to just get the support of the community? Yeah, I mean, worldwide, it was amazing. Um, I don't think any of us realized how far reach Ken had all over the world. Um, so to see so many manufacturers and so many elite high-level motoring people whether that was you know in formula one whether it was in rally whether it was in nascar indycar whatever whatever type of motorsport you could think about there was people with his number on their car there was people posting all over their social media like it, it's pretty amazing to see how many people can touch in his life and how many people respected him and 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 you know valued everything he did for motorsport all over the world and and I think that was really special to all of us that were close to him to see, you know, how amazing he was to so many people that didn't even meet him. Um, and and that's pretty special to think that people can just watch his Jim Carter videos or follow him in rally or whatever way they chose to follow Ken Block and find out about him. But they had a passion for what he did and they loved what he did. And And it was pretty amazing to see, you know, all the people that paid tribute to him and reached out during that tough time. And, and like you speak about people who never met Ken. I, I, Ken is a huge, as I mentioned in the pre-show, Ken is a huge reason why I got into rally and why I even do some of the media stuff I do and such. And I never had a chance to meet him and I, I wish I did, but it never happened. And it's unfortunate Losing Ken was a shock not only to the rally community but to the motorsport community because Ken was Ken was somebody who took dreams of some people and turned them into reality with with Jim Connor and and just some of the things he did was was I I don't even have the words to describe it. Yeah, I mean when you say the opportunities like. Alex, for example, you know, um, I think it was 2004 or five. this guy come from D.C. to Vermont Sports Car and he wanted to drive a rally car and they, you know, contacted Alex and that opportunity happened for Alex and he got to do so many amazing things with Ken. He was Ken's general, general manager for a few years as well. So he was very closely involved with Ken and, and Ken was definitely his best friend and, and Ken 
uh, Alex thought the world of Ken and, and I honestly did too. And, you know, at the end of the day, like we lost a great friend and the block kids lost a father and Lucy lost a husband, but we have so many amazing memories to cherish and we can be also thankful. That it's not just someone like Alex who got opportunities. There's social media guys that Ken taught amazing things to that they then, you know, go away with the knowledge Ken taught them. There's graphic designers, there's videographers, there's photographers, there's countless people that were involved in, in you know, all these amazing things and projects that Ken would come up with, with his creative mind that he had and, and we would be in awe of, you know, an idea that he had. And, and you would often think to yourself, like, how does he even come up with these things? And and then he would come up with it, he'd plan it, he'd put it in place, and then all of a sudden it was a masterpiece, whether it be a Jim Carner or something else that we were dealing with, whether it was one of his liveries or his suits or his helmets or something like that. So I think we're all very lucky to have, have, have had Ken in our lives and and had the influence that he had in the motoring industry, like you said, whether it be motorsport or just in general, um, um, the motoring, motoring industry, he was he was an incredible person and he's a great loss. But at the same time, we all all have to cherish everything that he brought to the world and and how lucky we all were to to watch those things. If you could, could you pick out a few of your favorite Ken Block stories? I'm not going to ask for one because I don't think it's probably not possible for you to pick just one. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been around Ken since 2013 because, well, 2012 really, um, because obviously Alex and I started dating then and then my brother and I come and did the um, two-wheel drive championship in America in 2013 for Ford. So Ken was with Ford and my brother and I were with Ford and, and you know, it was just amazing that we're his teammate. But, like, uh, one funny story is in 2015, I was actually – my brother had come over, M Sport was sending over the brand-new R2 and R5. And Ken was in his World Rally car. It was New England, New England Forest Rally. Um, it was 2015. My brother was in the new R2 and Ramana was in the R5. And Alex and Ken had broken down and I was with Nick Roberts in the Subaru um, SP car. So I wasn't in with my brother for this race. And Ken and Alex had broken down and they knew that my brother would be coming soon and they could flag him down to try and fix their car because my brother, he's a bit of a mechanic and he knows a lot about cars. So it was Alex's brother-in-law and he's like, I know what we'll do. We'll be able to stop Brendo. So Sure enough, Brendo comes along and and he fixes, I don't know, it was a throttle issue or something. He was able to fix it for the boys and the boys were able to continue. So it was always a running joke that Ken was like, oh, if I've got Brendo somewhere behind me, I'll be right because I know that it'll start to help me. And then um, in 2018, we went to do his gravel crew in Spain. And, and, you know, there were so many cool things that this little brother and sister country kids from Australia got to do with Ken and his family. Um, my brother went mountain biking with him in Park City, Sillily. And like, I think, you know, my brother's, I don't know, 34. So Ken was probably 20 years older than him. And I think my brother thought, oh, yeah, we're going mountain biking. This will be fun. And Ken hands him like a proper downhill mountain biking helmet, like, like a motocross helmet. And he was like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do here? And he come back and he's like, that was one of the most insane things I've ever done. And so I just think that so many great memories of just, he would give people opportunities. He would make life fun. 
he always put boundaries and, and he definitely had a life that you know he loved and and he was clever when he started DC all those years ago and 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 he always lived life to the fullest and unfortunately we don't have him now but we have his beautiful kids and wife here and and her and those kids all love motorsports so I'm sure Lucy's gonna have her hands full with uh possibly three kids rallying or or definitely racing in some format at some point in time so you mentioned the three kids are are Ken's other two kids in motorsports yes they all race so they've all got carts that they race and then at the rallies um Kira who's 14 she's been doing assistant team manager with Derek so she when we come in she tells us what time we're checking in and she she runs a pretty tight schedule she's been doing a great job and then we have Maka who's just turned 12 this week uh, and he's been like one of the junior techs at the races so he's been working on our cars and 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 doing all that sort of stuff and then away from rally the kids all have carts that they race and um all three of the kids have trained with Alex and I at Oz Rally Pro and Kira is really keen to start co-driving you're allowed to start co-driving at 14 so she's trying to convince Lucy that they should go to a regional rally together but we haven't been able to convince Lucy to that yet but we're, we're still trying so yeah they definitely all have the passion that's for sure it, it, it's it's interesting to see that because I, I know even like for Oliver Solberg, like even talking to him, like I, I was shocked that some of his answers weren't his dad. Like I remember, I think I asked him like, who is his biggest idol or whatever. And, and I don't think his answer was his dad. I think his answer was like Ken or something. And I was like, <laughs> that is a, that is not the answer I was expecting at all. But okay. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure that was, I'm sure his dad probably listened to that and probably that was probably the most awkward like dinner afterwards. Just like, I wasn't your idol, son. What? <laughs> I th- I still remember Oliver. I know the um, Solbergs really well as well. And like I mentioned earlier, I got to go in the um, Citroen WRC car with um, Peter at testing in Spain in 2010. And I remember Oliver being this little kid in the world championship and he would run around with like, I don't know, it was some break oil I don't know what it was and he would spray the mechanics with it and everyone would be like that little Oliver Solberg like he he was this cheeky little kid running around and now he's the most lovely kid ever and and I always tease him and then actually at WRC Mexico he was servicing beside uh, Ken and Alex and I was there helping the boys out and he come up to me and he had these two um, metal things and he asked me to hold on to them and I'm like, what's happening here? I knew it was some sort of a game. And it was one of those like electricity things that you do. Well, he turned it up so high that I dropped immediately to the ground and I couldn't let my hands off them. And he's laughing so hard. And I'm like, Oliver, you have not changed since you were like five years old running around service park, like hassling all the mechanics. So <laughs> it's pretty funny when you've been around everyone for so long and then they grow up and you're like, Oh man, I remember when you were a kid and you're still a little shit. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know why that sounds exactly like something Oliver would have done anyway. I mean, I didn't guess it. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to find that video again and post it. It's pretty funny because here I am holding it and I just drop to the ground and Oliver it just thinks it's hilarious. And I'm like, I don't know if this is so funny, dude, but he thought it was. What's your dream rally to attend or do you have one? 
Uh, I mean, my dream rally growing up was to go to Finland and I've done Finland twice. So um, this may sound really cliche, but I feel like so many of my dreams I've been able to live. And that's pretty amazing, to be honest. Um, and and like I say, I would be watching Michelle Mouton or whatever back in the Group B days and Dad would have the video playing and and we'd be watching all these incredible things and then you'd see Finland come on and we'd always be like, imagine doing Rally Finland. And then my brother and I did it twice and I've been there I think five or six times on doing other roles within teams. So, you know, and you know, a dream was to win a national championship. I thought that would be the Australian Rally Championship, but obviously American, I've I've come second in the Australian Rally Championship twice and it was really close and it's still a dream to win that. And and hopefully my brother and I get the opportunity to get back in an open class car and do that there. But so I've been so, you know, um, I've really been a motivated person. I've sacrificed many things in my life. So if I set a goal or a dream, I, I usually will hopefully achieve it. So right now, what is my goal and dreams? Yeah, I want to be a, I want to be World Rally Champion. And how do I do that? Um, well, you know, first of all, you need to get yourself in a position where you're with a driver that's competing in the World Championship. So in the recent years, there haven't been a huge amount of opportunities for that. Um, it'd be great if there was a young up-and-coming driver and I had the opportunity, like Leah, <laughs> Uh, to go through with them into the junior world championship and then progress through the ranks um, r5s up to the world rally cars because i feel like you know for me to try to achieve that goal you need to be with someone that you know from early on their career where you work together and, and you develop as a team and and then you go through the ranks whether it be junior world championship r5 and then world rally cars so my dreams and goals is definitely to be, still be world rally champion and it has been for many years. But, you know, whether um, the opportunity arises for me to have, you know, that um, chance to sit in with someone that, you know, is going to go all that way is always the unknown, I guess, in, my, in what I do. So what's been your favourite car to co-drive in? <laughs> um, I mean... How can I not say how good the Subarus are? Those things are beasts. They're real. They really are a very good car. Um, so the Subaru Motorsport USA team and Vermont Sports Car has done a phenomenal job of those cars. Um, you know, it's not like they're a car that's built by a World Rally team like M Sport or Toyota or something like that. This is Vermont Sports Car builds these cars, and and they're pretty phenomenal to be honest. Um, and they're bloody fast. <laughs> Um, and once you put that new aero on that we've had, especially last year, those things fly. So they've definitely been a dream to be in those cars the last few years. And, um, you know, a good R5 is always a really fun ride as well. Like I've done many races in R5s as well. But, I mean, flying through the forest in an open class car when you're at my level and you want to be winning and you want to be in the fastest car possible, for me, those two brews have definitely been a dream the last few years so what was it like for you to co-drive with a guy like Travis Strana <laughs> I mean Travis like I mentioned earlier is just really hard working and he wants to win um, and he wants to achieve the same goals I want to achieve so the good thing about someone like that is they're willing to work hard they're willing to make sacrifices they're willing to give up time to do extra homework we need to do to make sure that our pace notes and 
everything like that is is right on. So um, I spent a lot of time the last two, three years, you know, flying from Idaho to Maryland to go, you know, hang out with Travis and his wife and kids for five days. And in that time, we would, you know, review videos and we would make our notes better before we would go to events and make sure that, you know, we were definitely going there with with the best approach. And that was with a lot of preparation and education on what, you know, those events were going to be. So um, I love working with Travis purely because of he has the same desire to work hard and challenge himself and push himself and motivation just like I do. Um, I find it really hard when I work with people that don't want to work hard. Um, they don't want to do hours of videos. They don't want to do an extra pass on recce if we can. Um, and they're there more to have fun. And look, rally is fun. It's it's definitely you know, something that, that I do for fun, but at the same time, it's my job and it's something that I want to achieve at. So, um, you know, when I get in with a variety of drivers, it's really important that I know that they have the same goals and ambitions that I have. And, and that is to, you know, try the best result possible um, for, you know, them and their team and things like that. So Travis has those same goals and, and ambitions. So working with him, is amazing. Um, a lot of people think that like he's crazy and all those things, but I learned pretty quickly that in Travis's mind, it's all about the risk versus the reward um, and how much, you know, he, he looks at different scenarios and he looks at the risk and he looks at the reward and, and how you weigh it up and you decide what's worth taking a risk and what's not. So in 18 races together, him and I had two crashes. And in Travis Pastrana terms, that is not many crashes. Um, and why was that? And that was because him and I worked extremely hard and, and we, 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 you know, calculated the risk and where we should take it and where we shouldn't versus just going out, not doing enough homework and, and, and crashing and not getting the results you want. So I definitely think I helped Travis with that. And I'm pretty proud to say that in all those races together, we did only have two accidents and, and unfortunately they were in situations where we were winning the rallies both times at New England and Ojibwe, which it's quite funny to think of someone at his level. Um, he gets really upset himself because he's like, I don't crash when I'm winning. Like that's when I'm in my element. And and we had the crash at Ojibwe last year in New England when we were winning both of those races. So it definitely showed how hard we were pushing and, and what level we were having to be at to try and beat Brandon and Ken. So you're talking about homework. How much preparation goes into an, uh, an event? I mean, for me, it's hours of work. Um, I study videos and onboards. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit harder this year with Leah because Leah obviously is so new. She doesn't have a huge amount of um, like experience behind us. That means we don't have notes from previous years. We don't have videos from previous years. She's changed to a one to 10 pace note system instead of a one to six pace note system. So even with going to Oregon, if all of the stages are the same as last year, we can't use her notes because her notes at Oregon were one to six. Her notes this year are one to 10, with 10 being her fastest number and one being her slowest. So um, a lot of the things that I have for Leah are a little bit um, useless to us in some ways. So we have to be a bit more creative. Um, we need to look at, you know, just looking at videos and looking at the characteristics of the road 
you know, what is this stage going to be technical? Is it going to be fast? What stages are good to push in in this is this BRZ, which obviously has a lot of power and grunt. So um, the homework that Leah and I do is quite different to the homework that Travis and I do because Travis had been doing the American Championship for so long. It meant that we had years of notes and years of videos. And so when I would fly over to his house, we would be reviewing videos and notes and, and making changes to them and making the notes better. So once we arrive at the race and we do reconnaissance, those notes are very, very good before we even start reconnaissance. So we don't, with Leah's, um, you know, inexperience, we don't have that. So we have to, um, you know, do homework in a different way to give her the knowledge before we arrive to races that, you know, some of her opponents like Michael Hooper or, or Dave Clark or those guys will have. How how long did it take you guys to do uh, Reese at uh, Olympus? Oh, the Recce at Olympus? Um, yes. So we left our hotel at 6 in the morning. Recce opened at 7. So we started Recce at 7. Um, two, we did two passes. It was open Recce, so you could do more than two passes if you like. Um, but we did two passes, and Leah's notes were pretty good after those two. Um, and we got back. So we left our hotel at 6, and we got back to our hotel, I think, I think it was around 5.30. So we're on the road about 12 hours that day. Um, so say six to six. And then Leah went and got dinner for us both. And then after she got dinner for us both, uh, while she was doing that, I was getting the videos ready from Ricky and I was getting the notes ready. And then we ate dinner together quickly in my hotel room while we were reviewing the Recce at double speed from my GoPro. So we we reviewed it at double speed. I call it where while she's watching the laptop and it's like rally speed then and she can watch it and she can like check if she's able to retain the information I'm giving to her. Um, is it too much information? Is she missing something? Did she miss a, a you know a, a cut? Did she miss a don't? Did she miss a stay in? Did she miss the care? Or, you know, is that too much information? She can't retain it. So it's hours of work after Ricky just reviewing videos and notes. Um, and then she goes and, and gets as much sleep as she can. And I continue to work and mark up my notes. And usually on rally nights, if I get three hours of sleep, it's been a good night. So uh, from my side, because I I have a lot of responsibility, I, I'm in the car with a 16-year-old who's still learning and still growing their knowledge I, I go over things over and over and over and I double check and I make sure and I add things if they need to be added and and you know it, it's definitely a lot of work but it's the same work I was doing with Travis as well um, and it, it's what you have to do like I'd always tell people you're at rally for a week and if you're having to sleep very little because you need to get the work done and you need to do the job guess what next week when you go home you can catch up on sleep I tell them so I was talking with uh, Jason Bailey after uh, Olympus, and be besides him saying that if Leah was in a rally three car, he would be fucked. Um, he uh, he had mentioned that uh, Leah is kind of like cannon away in like her attitude and that sort of stuff. Can you attribute to that, or? Yeah, she's definitely a mini Ken. Um, Lucy is more like a social butterfly. <laughs> Um, whereas Leah is definitely a lot quieter and reserved and people probably don't realize that, but yeah, she like, cause they see Ken, they think that he was a flamboyant and those sort of things, but he definitely wasn't. He, he was someone who was 
a fairly quiet person and and Leah is very very much uh, a clone of her dad and and uh, it's quite interesting because she's like a clone of her dad but then Kira her sister is like her mum Lucy so they're quite different the two girls but I definitely think that Leah is definitely a mini Ken. Ken. I, I just found a funny when he said that and me and him were just sitting here talking about the end and it was like and he was just like if 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 she was an erratic three car, I would be fucked. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's definitely yeah. so that's definitely higher praise for you know somebody who's still in in high school and you know, but she she is a good driver. Like I I I've been surprised how fast she's actually learned the car and even just learned rally in general. Like rally's not something you can just pick up something and just say okay, I'm doing rally now and I'm going to win every stage or I'm going to win stages. Like, no, it's not something you can do that in in a year or two years normally. And with Leah, it's it's only her second year and she's already won a class and event. She's won stages and class and events. She's done a lot of things in a short time span. Yeah, I mean, I think all the things that her dad gave the opportunity to do have really helped her, whether it's like, unicorn versus the world or you know any of those sort of things like I think back then she was like 13 even or 14 I know she was very young and so driving any of those things has been very good for her you know what I mean and and they've taught her so many things so she's very smooth um, which is great because in that car you don't want to be over driving um, so there's so many things that definitely her dad taught her and and different you know, skills that she's learned from doing her karting or her drags or whatever she's done um, you know, through the last few years have definitely paid off for helping her with her rallying, that's for sure. Um, so you mentioned earlier Travis might be back next season. I Can you say if you're going to be co-driving for him next season, if he does return, or are you going to stay with Leah or go somewhere else? I mean, we're only in May and... Leah, like I mentioned before, really is passionate about circuit racing. So my deal with Ken when I got in with Leah was a one-year deal um, to help her try and win the Tool Drive Championship and then see where she went from that. Um, and Ken was very aware at that point that Leah was really feeling a love for circuit racing as well. So I don't really know which way Leah's going to go. Um, whether she'll stick to rally or whether she'll go to surf. Um, Travis told me when he let me know that he was taking the year off, that he would be back in 12 months' time. So he's meant to be returning in 2024, but so much is unknown right now. So I usually don't start to work out what's going on for my year until September, October. Um, it's it's the unknown of what our job is, but um, it's just the way it works so it's always waiting to see what drivers are up to and and what they're going to be doing and like I say right now for those two it's still very unknown what will be happening even though they probably have ideas and stuff obviously sponsors are important and those deals usually happen in September and things like that so we're so far away from that point right now it's really hard to know um, what my steps will be next year and, and into the future. So speaking of Travis, I know it's probably too early to say, and there's probably not a definitive answer to this, but is there a chance we could see Travis compete in the rally this year? Oh, for sure. I'm not with me, obviously, um, because I am committed to Leah. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, who, who would know? You know what I mean? Like, with, uh, he hasn't said he is, but I mean, as we've seen other years, randomly he would come and do one event here and there. Um, so when he said he's taking the year off, that was virtually a guide to me that Avery, you need to find another job. Um, and then whether he's the type of guy that he could ring Vermont and say, yeah, let's go to New England. You know what I mean? Um, so obviously he wouldn't probably use Robbie, his old, old co-driver or something like that if he did that. Um, but yeah, he, it definitely could happen because he's done it other years when he's taken years off rally. Um, so whether he does any or not this year is unknown. I was talking to him on a phone call earlier today, but we we're talking about Nitro Rally Cross and different other things like that. So his mind is in many places, not rally at the moment. So whether we see him out this year, I honestly don't know at this point. So what was it like at a uh, hundred acre wood for to see the area retire Ken's number? Yeah, I mean, it was very special. It was something that the family talked about and all of them decided that they shouldn't run that number and it was their dad's number and with his husband, obviously. So it was obviously a, a special moment to see ARA um, appreciate Ken so much and, and want to retire that number. So um, it was an emotional time for us all, but at the same time, it was it was really special to see that for sure. And, and it was nice that they had a and celebrated like they did um so i think lucy's doing a really good job with the 43i institute um raising funds and what they're giving back to rally is incredible um you would have seen the award that was given out at, at um, olympus where both driver and co-driver um were awarded with i think it was one thousand four hundred and thirty dollars each um to someone who displayed the flat flat out attitude and things like that which was pretty incredible so Lucy's definitely trying to do what she can to give back to the sport and and the um, retiring of the number and, and things like that are all important and will continue to race this year in his honour and, and do him proud. And I speaking of the 43 Institute, um, I, I did say on Instagram and I think I believe I also said it on Facebook that for whatever I get paid for the articles for the months of January and February, I will be donating to that institute. That is still yeah. the plan. I just haven't got my money for those months yet. So it, it you know, it's, it's a work in progress, but when I, once I get that money, I will uh, donate that to there. Um, speaking of that as well, could you speak upon like, I guess kind of what the purpose of the Institute is and such. I mean, I, I'm not a spokesperson for it, but I just know what I've been told by Lucy and the Block family. And the biggest initiative that they've started so far is obviously this flat out award that they've given out. Um, now they've announced who was the winner for 100 Acre Wood and then who was the winner for Olympus. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, you know, Rally was obviously Ken's passion and what he loved more than anything as far as motorsport so when Lucy you know started coming up with this idea she knew straight away that one thing that she wanted to do with some of the money she raised was to to do an award where a driver and co-driver win funds and those funds will assist them in their rallying now there is no other prize 
money prize like this in rally that I know of right now in the world. So to think that she's come up with this idea and giving back to the sport like that, which Ken loved, I think is truly amazing. So at Olympus, I was set up well at both park exposés in the morning. They had a tent and they had, you know, size small up to, I don't know, two, three XL, whatever it was. And you could, um, you would get a t-shirt and some stickers, which were um, there um, with um, Ken's kids selling them. So, so Micah and Kira were very active in it. Um, and you would donate $43 to the Institute and in return you would get a T-shirt and the stickers. You could donate more if you wanted to, obviously, um, and that's going to be happening at all the rounds. And then that money obviously will start to come together to do prizes like she's Lucy is doing um, in the rallying and then other ideas with their ranch where where people might be given opportunities to go and do things there. Lucy's got lots of ideas and lots of plans, which she's still you know, getting ready to announce, but everything's fantastic what she's thinking. And Alex and I are very, very proud of the work she's doing and, and Ken would be too.